Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Oh, hello, and welcome to Basic Folk. This is a podcast where we have honest conversations about folk musicians. I'm Cindy House. Thank you for listening today. We are going to be talking to Brittany Spencer. Brittany Spencer is making her way in Nashville. Her presence in Music City is radical, not only because she's a woman, but also Brittany is a young black country artist. Spencer has been enamored with country music ever since she fell in love with the Chicks as a 15-year-old. Even though she did not see people that looked like her represented in country music, she connected with the sound enough to realize that she needed to be a part of it with her own music. Originally from Baltimore, Brittany grew up with strong roots in the church and credits that experience as the basis for her musical foundation. In Nashville, she joined the Christian songwriting collective Common Hymnal, Through their supportive network, she's been able to write songs that give an authentic depiction of human struggle. In the pod, we discuss the disenchantment that a lot of people feel towards Christian music. I honestly am very stumbly when I broached this subject, but was relieved when Brittany understood where I was coming from, as in like certain Christian music and thinking about the genre as a whole can make people feel uncomfortable. Brittany aims to be a country artist that happens to make songs that are Christian. She also is consciously working on how to make her music something that the Black community would like, and she shares how she works the Black experience into country music. And she used to be a DJ at the local NPR music station, so that's awesome. All right, um, we're going to listen to uh, her song, Damn Right, You're Wrong. And then we'll get to our conversation with the wonderful Brittany Spencer on Basic Book. I've been working real hard at people pleasing, pageant dreams at the parlor, reaching for crowns. I don't need another sad whiskey anthem. My self esteem don't move with this crowd. So I'm gonna drown all this pressure of holding on to something so proven wrong. Brittany Spencer, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're from Baltimore, and uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about your growing up in the city of Baltimore, and you lived in several different neighborhoods. You you had mentioned to me that you had lived in four different places throughout elementary school, 
And it's because there were some changes happening in your family. Your parents split up and then your dad got remarried. And yeah. you got two new siblings. And then mm -hmm. there was you and your sister blending it all together. Yeah. You were around six or seven at the time, but it seems like... Uh, Seems like a real, uh, you know, thinking about when I was six or seven and like coming to realize like how I'm different and making me uncomfortable in in school and everything like that. Like it must have been really hard for you and, and your sister uh, when when the families blended together. But what did that what did that look like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it looked like um, just years of going through what any kid goes through when their parents get divorced. Um you know, hopefully you have family and friends around that love you and care for you. And I did, fortunately. And um, and you just find a way to make it through. You just find a way. I think, you know, what's crazy is in my adult years, I've uh, discovered parts of me that probably stem from like that part of my childhood. And like even up until just a few weeks ago, like my dad and I will, will still talk about um, just my childhood and how some of it and, and just kind of where I ended up emotionally and mm. whatever we talk about um just how some of that stems from from that part of my childhood where my parents did get divorced yeah and so it's sometimes it's an ongoing conversation and you don't realize certain things or patterns and um until later on you know and so it's a process but you know I have good people around me and thankfully I'm able to make it through as so many of us do you know when our yeah. parents get divorced yeah, and there's always that interesting aspect of like looking back and seeing the story that you're telling yourself when you're six mm -hmm. years old as to like why it's happening, just to like make it easier yeah. to live through it, and then mm -hmm. you know the ways that you cope with that story. Mm -hmm. And just as a songwriter, honestly, that type of stuff gives you something to write about. <laughs> you know, I I always feel very fortunate in that I've had creativity as an outlet, um, but there's so many people that I know that aren't artistic or creative and, mm. and, uh, and they have to work to find an outlet to actually pull stuff out of them that they didn't, you know, know existed. Or, you know, if they have a certain thought or feeling, or if they have a certain trauma, you know, as creatives, we can kind of work it out through creativity in a sense. But I always, I always feel fortunate for that. Cause I had music as a mm. kid, I could sing, I could, I could get lost in a whole different world if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of that music for you was happening at the church. Mm -hmm. So um, what was what was like church looking like for you when you were growing up and where did music fit into that? Yeah, I mean, for me, church was music and music was church. Um, I, I had gone to church my entire life. My, my family, we have a bunch of singers. My dad sings, my aunt sings, my late uncle, he sang as well. Um, and for me in my neighborhood and where I grew up, church was more than a place you just went to on Sunday. It was a, it was a resource for so many kids. Um, I went to the church that I spent most of my childhood that was down in the hood in Baltimore City. And uh, it gave a place for, for kids who were musicians, who were singers, um, kids who were into the arts in, in, in any kind of way, really. And if they weren't, just a, a place to gather and, and, to, and to have fun. And, you know, our parents didn't have like a bunch of disposable income. We couldn't just do ballet lessons every every Wednesday. Um, but I did have Bible study and I had praise and worship team rehearsal and all these other things. <laughs> so church for me is very cultural. 
very cultural. And that, I think that comes across in my songwriting as well. At least I hope it does. Can you talk about the sense of community that church gave you in, in terms of like making music and, and that how important that sense of community is for you? Yeah. Um, my first, my first go at songwriting was with people in my, my church community who did music as well. We would write songs together and, um, what we, we didn't exactly write songs. We were just kind of like, uh, like freestyle. I can't remember any of those songs to this day. So we would just kind of all just throw little phrases together and make a song that none of us can, you know, would probably remember the day after. Um, but then one day I had this, 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 what I thought was very genius idea to, um, to start writing songs for voicemails. And I did that with my friends at church who were into music as well. And so we started just making up songs, taking like famous theme songs, and then we would like rewrite the words and and then we would record it on voicemails for people. So so if I called you, I would be able to hear that song for 45 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but that was my introduction to writing songs. That was my introduction to, um, to collaborating with uh with people who just loved music for the sake of music and uh i think i'm always like reaching for that like even in my my co-writing sessions today in the studio sessions mm. i'm looking for fun i'm looking for something weird like just writing songs for answering machines i'm always looking for weird stuff like that because those are the most fun collaborations and they feel the purest mm. to me Oh, that's that's a nice um, a nice way to put it, and it also has to be hard to want to just make music for the sake of making music in Nashville, where a lot of it is very commercially based. Yes, but fortunately, I don't have a publishing deal uh, or a label deal, so I'm still doing it for fun. <laughs> <laughs> fortunately. <laughs> Um, I want to get to your discovery of country music, but what about before you got into that sound, like when you were younger, um, of course, you had the music at church, but what was resonating with you as a younger person um, and those early influences that weren't country music, how do they continue to influence you now? Yeah, so for me as a kid, I had no concept of genre. I... um. I, I had no concept of that. Now, what I did have a concept of was, can I sing this in church and can I not sing this in church? Those are the only things that I really knew. And um, and so I, I mean, I just explored everything. I, I was classically trained all through middle and high school. I went to art schools. Education honestly saved me from what my, um, sometimes what my environment would have um, kind of, pulled me away from mm -hmm. and that I went to schools in, in middle and high school. I went to art schools. I got in. Those are schools you had to audition for. Those are schools where um, you have a specialty, you get like a certain kind of training. And But I could get to those schools because I could sing. And so mm -hmm. that was a, that was incredible. I, I studied opera. I studied jazz. I studied Broadway. I, was ex I, I just had an incredible um, just time of exposure throughout school. And I, I credit so much of that to me being able to sing. Mm. Um, yeah. So I just explored everything. Um, I, I found out about country music actually while at church, there was a woman at my church named Keisha, a really good friend. 
she uh, one day while we were I was in the back seat of her car. She was in the front seat. She says, Brittany, you need to listen to Dixie Chicks. She plays their album. I don't even remember which album it was, but she played the album. I looked at the album cover and it felt like church to me. It felt like something similar. It felt like not quite like what I was used to, um, but the harmonies, um, just like some of the way that um, the chicks now, um, how they said some of their lyrics, it was just, it felt really familiar. And I just kind of went on this, this little rabbit hole of country music and finding other songs and other artists and making collages of them and being that obsessed teenage girl that loves an artist now <laughs> making binder covers and putting all their pictures. And, and I mean, you know, even then I, I, like I said, I didn't have any concept of genre. So when you would look at my posters, you would see Dixie Chicks and Faith Hill next to Fred Hammond and Indy Ari and Shaka Khan and, and uh, Sarah Evans and, and, and just Mariah Carey, just everyone kind of all in one little place. And uh, I think that's in some way how I still see music. Hmm. When you were getting fully deep into country music, mm-hmm. um, where were you on how, for like the most part, the people making country music didn't look like you, didn't look like yeah. your family? Yeah. I mean, in the very beginning, when I fell in love with country music, I fell in love with it saying, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But I never thought I would actually do it in this way. Like I thought that I would finally I didn't I didn't know where I would land or where I would end up if if this is making any sense at all. I wanted to do it, but I, I didn't think that I could. Um and so I did what I had seen so many other artists, just as a kid, like what I'd seen other artists do, which is take elements of a genre that they love and just incorporate it into something else. And for me, my reason in wanting to do it is because I thought no one in Nashville is going to want someone like me. You know, no one in country is going to want someone that looks like me. And so I just, it was a journey. Honestly, it was a huge journey. It wasn't until I heard Taylor Swift that I thought, oh my goodness, there's hope for someone like me. I don't know. It was something about her not having a twang. And from, uh, I think she's from Pennsylvania. It was something about those two things combined that really made me feel like, oh, Maybe there's space for me. And I, I, it, it literally sent me on a whole trajectory of starting the path that I'm on now, literally, because I heard a country singer. Oh, and also because she's poetic. So she's poetic. She doesn't have a twang. And I think she's from Pennsylvania. Oh, my goodness. I'm from Maryland. Maybe this can work. And so <laughs> that's that's for me. Um, I, That's how it went. But it was it was several years. Like, it wasn't like a you know, a thing where I just woke up and thought I can be anything. I can be anyone. I, I didn't think that when it came to country music and my family was, was very adamant about making sure that's what I wanted to do. Um, because my coming to Nashville would really mean having to think through what that means for a black girl from the city to pursue a life in Nashville one and two, a, a career in country music. It's a very well thought through decision. Yeah, wow. Okay, you arrive in Nashville. Yeah. In 2013. Mm-hmm. So just based on reading your essay that you wrote about um, being black in country music, mm-hmm. you begin to experience certain things that you know are because you're black. 
And it sounds mm-hmm. like there's a lot of like covert stuff that. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2018, you wrote that essay about being black in country. And mm-hmm. um, I pulled this quote from it. It says, you said, the best way for me to explain my experience as a black woman pursuing country music is to simply say that I'm constantly forced to think about my race makes me stand out which really isn't a bad thing it doesn't bother me what bothers me is when my race causes me to feel alienated mm-hmm. now you've been in that town for seven years at this point what has been the evolution of your experience as a black country singer in a black female country singer in nashville yeah um uh, I, I still feel that way i do still feel um alienated at times um, but right now, particularly in this time of, of country music, there's people of color coming together. There's people of color that are stepping out and saying, no, actually, we're here. You know, we've been here and it's it's, it's time that we not be alienated. It's, not, it's time that we not be excluded from the story, from the narrative, because we have a place here, too. And in 2014, I think you said when I wrote that uh, that that essay, um, I didn't know anybody else that looked like me. At that time, I think I hadn't met Reese Palmer yet. I knew about her. I heard her music. Um, I knew about Mickey Guyton. I heard her music, and they just felt like you know far away. Like I was in, I think I was living in Murfreesboro in college at the time. So it's just. It just felt so distant, but now there's just so many artists of color that I've met, um, that I've connected with in person and, and more often than not online. And for me, that's, that's made the ultimate difference. So I still feel what I felt when I wrote that. Um, but there's a whole lot more hope now than it was then just because of the time that we're in where we we're we're starting to feel like maybe we have a voice in this or we've always had a voice but but we're able to rightfully take a place as well and mm. not be excluded because of what we look like mm-hmm. i say all the time i want people to hate me because i can't sing or they hate the way i write don't hate me or dislike me because i'm not i'm not country enough when really what you're saying is that i'm not white enough mm. um you know i i just I don't know when it's, it's not a fight or a struggle that I'm having to engage by myself. So it feels way more hopeful now than, than when I wrote that piece. In that same 2018 essay, you wrote oh, 2018. I'm, yes. 2018. <laughs> I'm constantly trying to ensure that my presence doesn't appear threatening. Mm-hmm. I typically don't wear my natural hair because it becomes another thing that makes me feel different. Mm-hmm. You said, I love my hair. I just don't want another thing added to the list that makes me stand out. Mm-hmm. And then you also made a reference to, you know, I know some black women will feel differently about that. How did that land when you first wrote it? And then also like in this age of reckoning, how do you use your hair or your physical appearance different differently? Or how would you like to use it? Um. You know, when I first moved to Nashville, I think uh, within the first month of being here, someone touched my hair and told me it felt like cotton. Um, no. So I know it's weird. It's very weird. She she thought it was like endearing. It was it no. was weird. No. Nope. Um, 
And it was a coworker, so I had to like keep seeing her. So it wasn't like somebody in Trader Joe's, you know, and I could just be like, okay, cool. I just won't, you know, see you ever again, probably. But um, it was it was someone I worked in close quarters with. And so I think that um, I think that everyone has to, I think everyone has their, their battle when we figure out our ways to get through certain traumatic experiences in a way that, that best suits us. And for me, I just, that's just how I feel at times. I, and I do wear my natural hair. I love my hair. I've never had an issue with my hair. I love it with all my heart. <laughs> um, I just, when I perform, I just personally, at least this is where I am right now. And this isn't like a matter of fact thing. This is just me where I am right now. And I just, it's, it's just something that I just choose to at this time, at this particular time in my life is something that I just, I just don't wear my hair that way all the time. It, I would love to. I love my hair. I just, I want to pick and choose my battles. I just, at least at some in some way. And I don't feel like I'm being any less of myself. I think for me, I'm just thinking, this is just what I've chosen to do right now. If it's okay, we can skip. I mean, if you want to skip this question, you totally can. But um I have heard you talk about your struggle with weight. Mm -hmm. um, what has been your journey with your relationship to your body? Like what example was set for you growing up? And how do you recognize that struggle as part of who you are? Yeah, I mean, I just, I look the way that I look, just like any of us. And I I have struggled like with, with weight. That's That's kind of been a thing. I mean, that was... Honestly, when I was having the conversation, the inner dialogue with myself for years about whether or not I could do country music or if I should even pursue artistry, that was like at the top of my list as well. Like, well, do I look a certain kind of way? Mm. And I think after a while, I just decided I don't want to be the thing that holds me back. And I, the world is already going to beat me up. I might as, I might as well just love myself. Um, I might as well do it. And so I just... I don't know. It's just, it's a thing. I think a lot of us, um, I think a lot of us spend a lot of time fixated on how we look and also projecting on other people and how they look. Um, I don't know. And I, I can't wait to see if, you know, the world one day maybe stops doing that. I mean, it's, for me, it's just like a, it's a weight thing, but for, I mean, just it may be jumping off topic, a, a, a shimage, um, People looked at Chadwick Boseman and, and they talked about his weight and come to find out he was dealing with cancer. Um, so when he had fluctuating weight issues, I mean, it's sad how much we fixate on bodies. And I just, I don't know, I just want to be kind to myself, but also be kind to other people. You have no idea what people feel about how they look. Have you ever heard of the concept of body neutrality? No, what is that? You don't feel any one way about anyone else's body. It's just sort of like, I have a body and you have a body. Mm -hmm. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing. No judgment. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. No, it's true. I, I just, I don't know. I think I, when it comes to bodies, um, we just never know what people are dealing with. You just never know. And mm. so I just, that's, I think that's how I've coped within myself about, about my weight issues. I try to be, I try to be nice to myself now because I also want to be nice to other people. I think most people talk so 
terribly about other people's bodies because they're not happy or they're fixated on their own bodies. And so I just want to start with myself first and say, well, maybe I shouldn't be so fixated on my body. I do, I do want to be more healthy and I am taking steps to do that, but I can still be kind to myself. Totally. That's hard to, that's a hard thing to reckon with and come to. It's so easy to say out loud, but it is so hard to make that conscious decision every day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes I don't do it well. (laughs) Great. I'll check in with you tomorrow about how you're feeling about it. You have been part of Common Hymnal family since 2016. You still part of that? Yeah, I am. Can you explain what it is and how it's impacted your life? Yeah. um, So Common Hymnal, we write a lot of socially conscious worship music. Um, it's the it's the the space in which I wrote uh, Whiskey Lows, which is a song that talks about Jesus and whiskey. Um, it's kind of a prayer, kind of a inner monologue kind of situation. Um, but common hymnal for me, it started as a, a place where I could say things that I thought I couldn't say in country music. When I was uh, well in 2016, while I was in college, I was traveling back and forth from Murfreesboro to Nashville several times a week um, to do co-writing sessions and um, and to just write with people that I've been meeting at writing rounds and um, just different networking events I would do. And I always, at times, felt a little constrained. Um, not always, but sometimes. Like I, And it wasn't anyone's fault. It was just, there were things I thought, oh no, I can't say that. I can't say that. Like so what then, kind of things? Um. Gosh, I can't think of any one specific thing. Um, I honestly can't think of one, any one specific thing, but I, I felt like artistically and creatively um, and just within myself, I was holding back. I wasn't saying exactly what was on my mind because I didn't know if it was um, if it was a song that would make sense or if it was a line that would contribute to the song. And, and you know, in Nashville, everyone wants to write a, a song and they want to write a song that lands them somewhere um, and so I just, I just thought, no, I can't really hear this on the radio. Sometimes I would just curtail my thoughts to whatever mm-hmm. I thought the situation was. Um, and so in the beginning, Common Hymnal was this place where I could, um, one, the people are just incredible. Everyone's just down to earth and, and helpful and, and just looks out for each other. And, and we just write good music with each other. So um, it's like a collective of songwriters? Yeah, yeah it's a okay. bunch of songwriters. Yeah, so it's a bunch of songwriters, um, people who get together and just create things. Um, it's just, it's a bunch of people. Like, it's too many people for me to even kind of <laughs> say how many people are there. But it was an outlet. It was a space. It was it was a place where I love the people, but also I noticed it was doing something um, really beautiful for me internally, just in terms of creativity. Um, I have listened to you talk about working spirituality into your writing. And mm-hmm. you just mentioned the song Whiskey Lows, where you were writing about someone calling out to God for help with a substance abuse problem. And uh, I think you were talking about it a little bit, but maybe you can explain more why you didn't think it was a Christian song at the time and what about it like wasn't Christian. Honestly, I thought it wasn't Christian because it felt it felt real. It felt like a song that, like I've never, I've not had an alcohol abuse problem. Um, I just, when we wrote that song, I was just thinking about people in my family who've dealt with alcohol abuse. I was thinking about friends 
um, just trying to put myself in someone else's shoes. But I don't know. I feel like when I've heard songs about whiskey, um, it's not too many songs that I've heard about the severity of it. Because, uh, I mean, Nashville's a drinking town. You know, it's a music and it's a drinking town. But I know so many people who are trying every single day of their life to stay away from alcohol. Because um, there was a there was a very um, dark side of it for them where it wasn't always glorifying alcohol. And I feel like in a lot of songs, we we you know we talk about how wonderful and helpful alcohol is. And and I I I'm part of that crowd. But there is also a whole bunch of people who for them, this thing has, you know, kind of really broken down their lives. And so I just, I hadn't heard too many songs, me personally, I just hadn't heard too many songs that kind of talked about um, Jesus and alcohol. And I wanted to just kind of, I wanted to write one. And Hmm. I was, I was so happy to have met Stefan and Shelly, who who I wrote the songs with, um, at a common hymnal writing camp. Yeah. So I I don't know. I just. Is that a Christian writing camp? I think it it is. It is Christian music, yeah. It is it's Christian music, um, but we end up writing so many other things as well. But it is mainly, yes, it's so mainly you were uh, Christian. Co-writing with two other songwriters on that song, mm-hmm. and is yeah. it is it camp like there's like campfires and cabins and a lake and stuff? Just no, not to... so not so much of all that stuff. Some of it, yes. So there was a uh, we, we in in many instances we kind of like have a big like house. Actually, everything you just said actually kind of probably is that, <laughs> except no like lakes and stuff. Like no one's going like oh, swimming and no like lakes. kayaking. No one's doing that. Um, but we do have a lot of people that come from different states, um, sometimes different countries as well. And so having a big place where people can stay is really important just because of how many people it is. Yeah. I'm trying to like set the scene for like you and these two other songwriters mm-hmm. who also are they part of that Christian community? Kinda, yeah. Fun fact: we wrote that song in Roy Orbison's house, so that was <laughs> so that was oh, fun. Man. I just thought about that. <laughs> That's crazy. And Roy yeah. Orbison's house is right across the street from Johnny Cash's mom's house. So I slept in Johnny Cash's mom's house. I think it's in Hendersonville. I slept there at night and then I went across the street to write songs. No way. And so that was, I mean, I think it definitely adds to the vibe a little bit. It's like one day you're just kind of chilling and the next day you're just in Roy Orbison's house. Wow. You know, writing a song with some people that live in like LA that you just met five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) What's that experience like? You know, in, in thinking about, like, knowing a little bit more about that situation, like, writing whiskey loads with people that you just met, and you're like, mm-hmm. I don't think this is Christian. I'm a Christian. Okay, yeah. strangers, here's my <laughs> idea. <laughs> um, I don't know. I can't really, I, I guess the experience, it feels, um, it feels like an adventure. It feels like some random thing that, of course, was really carefully orchestrated. Any songwriting camp is you, you have to put a lot of work um into figuring out like who comes and I wasn't part of that um but just figuring out who comes and figuring out lodging and and all the I mean it's carefully orchestrated but to me Stefan and Shelly Hofsepian I don't think they thought it was a Christian song either I thought we kind of presented the idea to each other and um I think I brought the first few lines and we were like yeah let's do it we were all on board <laughs> and um but 
I think we just thought it was a good song. And so we chased it down. Mm. And I think they're a bit like me in the sense that, in the sense that if it's good, it's just, it's worth it, you know? So it wasn't to, you know, and it, I, in my mind, I remember thinking, I hope this isn't disrespectful um, to the people who brought me here. Cause I don't think this is a Christian song at all. Um, but, but I sang it, it was a song share at the end of the, the event at the end of that weekend. And I shared it and, um, and people liked it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I still don't think it's a Christian song, but at least it's a half decent song. And so <laughs> I'm, um, yeah, I'm always overwhelmed by the responses from that song from people who love Christian music and people who love country music. And I kind of like the idea that there's a song that kind of sits in between those. And you don't really know if it was meant to be a Christian song or not, or if mm. it was meant to be a country song or not. I right. kind of, I kind of like that. Yeah, I think that's where I think that's where the success lies because I was going to talk about this later on in the interview. Your ability to like express your faith and your spirituality to me is like the confidence you have in it is um is pretty incredible. And Thanks. and I and I feel like as somebody who uh is not a Christian, raised Catholic and like uncertain over here like I will listen to some like Christian rock songs and feel like there's nowhere that I fit into this at all. You know, like it, it just seems like not real, but then listening to a song, like listening to a song like whiskey lows, it's like, I can see myself in this song. And I know that there's like references to Jesus, but it, it's not like making me super uncomfortable as like most Christian music does. I don't know if hearing me say that like resonates or like spark something yeah, it does. in you about about songwriting and, and how to like walk that line. Heck yeah. I mean, for me, what you just said is the the ultimate um compliment and it's it's humbling because in my mind I think I write that way because I am that way. There I mean, for so many people hearing Christian music is like triggering. I don't listen to it. I grew up on gospel and I I, I think I said this in the earlier to you or on the podcast, but for me, my faith is, it it is very cultural for me. Um, the church didn't just serve as a place to go to on Sundays. It was a resource to the community around me. Mm. It's where I learned music. It's where I learned how to sing. It's It was my introduction to country music. Um, so for me, my faith is also a connection for me back to my people as well. People mm. who look like me, my, my neighborhood, my my culture. And so um, I know a lot of people for them, Christian music is like triggering. And, and like I said, I don't listen to it. And so it, it matters to me um, when someone um, finds himself in my songs. And I'm thinking it's probably because I'm probably just like you. <laughs> yeah. In many ways. Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, maybe you just like answered this question. I had a question about how do you work to put your black experiences or how how do you work to put black experiences into your country songs? Oh, if that's you think a good of question. it, yeah, as if you it, maybe you don't even think of it like that. Oh, no, I do. I definitely do. Yeah. Um. So for me, I mean, my blackness is incredibly important to me. Um, it's important that I make songs that my family likes um, that my friends like. It's important to me. Um, it's important to me that my experience and how I 
how I view life and how I experience life is present in my music. So like songs like Damn Right You're Wrong, um, it was intentionally like genre, uh, a genre bending. Genre, what was what is genre? It was intentionally, <laughs> <laughs> that song was intentionally genre bending. It's It's how I've listened to music. You know, it's not a monolithic sound. It's not just a, a linear um, sonic path. It's it's all these different things that I've been influenced by coming together um, as as one thing. I um, it's it's important to me. It's important to me that my experience and my culture mm. comes out in my music. I want to talk a little bit more about that. Damn right, you're wrong track. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know if, if we mentioned this, that, yeah, we did mention it, that you went to um, like artistic middle school and high school and you studied all sorts of different um, mm -hmm. vocal techniques. And I'm wondering, like, making it a genreless song, like how that, how your past training played into the way that you sang Damn Right, You're Wrong. And if it has anything to do with the message of the song. Yeah, um when I heard it, I immediately thought, oh yeah, this is, this is great. This is, this is helpful. Um, cause I've been in Nashville singing the writing country music for, for going on seven years. And so I just thought, oh, this is great, but this is also an opportunity for me to mesh together a lot of my different musical influences into one thing, one palatable thing. Um, so I, I guess the, maybe it's the message that kind of influenced the song as well. Um, the message is so fluid in itself. It's talking about self-esteem and adult peer pressure and, um, and not believing all those little lies that we tell ourselves or that our worst critics will tell us about ourselves. Um, anyone can relate to that. So I wanted the, the sound to be like that, but still be bouncy and, and like, confident but still like i hope i'm doing this right it's <laughs> <So. laughs> a little bit of like self-checking yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah you know you gotta stay stay grounded yeah <laughs> <laughs> um another thing you talked about on son of a preacher man which like great episode of that like you were great on that podcast oh, thanks um, the concept of God as that best friend where it's been a while and you pick up where you left off which i was like thinking like like what a cool way to think of God, like as a friend, as like a best friend. And was wondering if you could expand on what that means to you. I like to think that God is my friend. Um, he's many things, but I like to think that that he's my friend, that he wants what's best for me, that I can talk to him about anything. Um, and I know that I can. So it just, it means something to me to have a very personalized thought and perception um, towards God. It makes, I feel like it makes God feel way more accessible mm. and in return makes God feel way more real to me. Do you have if, like a physical image of what God looks like? You know, some people have that. I don't think I have a physical image. I, I don't think that I do. I'm not sure. I'm, I've thought about this for years and I just thought, I mean, and I, I don't know, maybe do I see God as faceless? I don't know. I don't think that that's the case. Um, but, but no, I don't see a particular like image. I know, I know what Jesus looks like. 
I know what Jesus looks like because there's scripture that tells us about his hair and how his warm, tells us about like his complexion. I don't, I don't know that that, I, I think of a, a certain kind of, uh, look God would have outside of what I just mentioned. I know Jesus is black. <laughs> yeah, obviously it makes sense. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, I want to talk about you being a DJ. <laughs> Dope. <laughs> you were a host on Roots Radio, NPR music station in Nashville. Mm -hmm. You were assisting the program director. You got hired as an intern first, and then you started hosting your own show. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that? And how did that experience deepen your connection to listening to and sharing music? Yeah, so um, in my senior year of college down at MTSU, go True Blue, um, <laughs> I was onboarded by um, the program director for Roots Radio um, to just be an intern, to just run and get things and help with um, like little technical things and just like assistant work. And about two months in, I was given my own show called Somebody Say Amen. And it was kind of like my world, just my, all my worlds colliding. Um, I got to play roots music. Um, so that's country, folk, Americana. And I used to just fuse it with gospel music. So like I'd play the Clark Sisters and Johnny Cash. And I'd play Alison Krauss and Fred Hammond. And it was just, it was just, it was beautiful. It was just anything that had a spiritual context we just fused it together and made one radio station. So people talking about God in different ways. It could be a country artist singing a hymn. Um, it could be just like an inspirational song. Uh, it was just, it was so many ways to kind of go about it. Um, and it was fun. And it kind of, I think for me, it deepened the thought that I've always had about music and that I don't want to be compartmentalized. Um, and as an artist, I think it's been really important for me to um, to see things as one thing, everything as one thing, kind of, um, in that I'm not, you know, singing secular music versus music appropriate for church. Um, it's, it's definitely kind of made me realize that that's how I need to be, mm -hmm. um, in terms of my approach to my artistry, um, which leads me to believe that it doesn't matter if Whiskey Glows is a Christian <laughs> song or if it's a country song. Um, it doesn't matter as much as I, as, as I probably think in my mind or have thought in the past. Hmm. What does that sign say behind you? Which one? Oh, that is a joke, uh, from a friend of mine. Um, it says eat, pray, sleep, live, love, laugh, overthink, understand, self-center. <laughs> These are the keys to happiness. <laughs> it's a joke that my friend Ashley and I kind of made, and um, I just kind of kept it on the wall. I just kind of, I don't even know why I put it up there, but now it's just there. And I'm like, oh, I like it there. Maybe I should yeah. frame it or something. I, I, was, I was listening to your answers, but I was like noticing it every once in a while, and I just had to know <laughs> what it said. Uh, um, okay, we're going to do something that you're going to enjoy. It's called the lightning round. Okay. All right, cool. here we go. What is the first song you learned on the guitar? Ooh, um, 
It was a song that I wrote called Don't Tell Me. Whoa. That's cool. Uh, karaoke song. Ooh, I hate karaoke. With a passion. I Whoa. hate karaoke. I hate karaoke. It's just, I can't, I can never deal with it very well. I never, I've never liked it. But wow. I don't know, maybe Whitney Houston, I want to dance with somebody. Thank you. <laughs> I know that was, I must have been hard for you. It was really hard. I feel triggered. <laughs> but <laughs> oh. All right. Dogs or cats or something else? Dogs all the way. What is your coffee order? Um, it's green matcha with oat milk. Wow. <laughs> you live in Nashville. Yeah. I, well, I have oat milk in my house and I just foam it up on the stove and oh yeah. And oh, I get my green matcha powder from Amazon and you know, toss a little <laughs> honey in there and cinnamon and we're we're good to go. <laughs> wow. Favorite junk food? Ooh. Ooh, I think I want to say wrap snacks. What is that? Wrap snacks? You've never seen them? Okay, uh -uh. so it's a it's a it's a potato chip brand, and every flavor has a different um, rap star on it. So, like, my favorite right now is the Three Migos. It's, like, ranch with, like, a dash of um, of barbecue, I think. Or is it barbecue with a dash of ranch? I can't remember. Is it but curated by the rapper? I think, don't quote me on this, I think it was made by Master P. So, I don't, I don't know exactly who made it. I heard it was Master P, I but Cardi... Rap snacks... Cardi B has a bag that's really good, um, as does a little Romeo and a few other, a few other artists, and that's I think that's my favorite snack. <laughs> All right, favorite U.S. city. Ooh, aside from my hometown, Baltimore, Maryland. Um, gosh, you know, growing up, my favorite city was Philadelphia, but I have not been there honestly since I was like. 18 or 19. Philadelphia. Uncommon yeah. choice. I know, but I love Philly. It was like the birthplace of so much music that I loved. It was, it was, you know, it's just a, yeah, it's a good, it's music just a town. great city. Yeah. First album you bought with your own money. Ooh, I want to say Shania Twain up. The up album was monumental in my life. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, it it was incredible. It was it was a two disc album, and the first side was I mean it was all of the songs that for the albums. I mean both both albums. I'm saying this all weirdly. Both albums had the same songs, but the first uh, the first album it was all country styles, and mm -hmm. then on the second album it was like rock and like some pop, like it oh. was just it was like electro electronic music. It was great. Like you have to listen to it. It's a two disc album. And that's when I realized, oh, even country artists like the been their sound. And so that that album meant a whole lot to me. I think it was the first one I bought with my own money. Amazing. First concert. Ooh, Hopeville with Yolanda Adams, Donna McClurkin, and Kirk Franklin. It was a gospel, gospel concert. Gospel. Yep, it was a gospel concert. That's rad. Last book you read. Mm. The last book I read. What was the last book that I read? I feel like um hold on, let me pull it up. I have it on my audiobooks. 
I love audiobooks. It's a book that I'm reading right now, and it is called. Sorry, I'm making this answer much more complicated than it needs to be. <laughs> um, it's a book called The Deep. It's by River Solomon. All right. Flying or invisibility? Invisibility. I'm scared of heights. Okay. Star Trek or Star Wars? I've not watched either one of those. I mean, as someone who's not watched either of them, which would you prefer? Um, I feel like Star Wars gets a much better rep. Like, everyone's just like, oh my god, Star Wars. And so I'm like, cool, Star Wars. Right, everyone seems yeah. to really love it. Star Trek is for nerds. It is. <laughs> but I like the nerds. <laughs> I don't know. So maybe I should watch Star Trek. So you would probably love it. Okay, so then maybe the, I should give it a try. You should watch the Trekkies documentary. Oh, really? It's from, yeah, it's from like a long time ago, but it's very good. Yeah. Do I need to watch any of the shows in order to understand the documentary? I mean, it would be helpful, but I mean, the documentary. See, that sounds like a lot of commitment, but I'm willing to do it. I mean, Star Trek is a lot of commitment, but I think it's worth it. Okay. I'm going to take your word for it. Maybe I'll I'll start it. Next generation. All the way. (laughs) Uh, What? All right. Last one. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Ooh, the most beautiful place. Um, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I've visited. I feel like I've visited so many beautiful places. Um, oh, you know what? I know. There was this like butterfly, butterfly museum down in uh, Boston that I went to, and it was gorgeous. And you just walk in the room, and butterflies are just flying all around you. Oh, nice. I left and I made a playlist of every song that ever talked about butterflies. <laughs> like Butterfly Kisses, the great country song? Yes. So that song <laughs> and then You Give Me Butterflies by Casey. Oh, yeah. And then you get Michael Jackson, You Give Me Butterflies. And so it's just everything butterflies. I mean, it's like 10 songs. I don't listen to it as much anymore, but it was definitely inspired by that visit. <laughs> When you listen to that playlist, does it take you back to the butterflies? It does. Yeah. It really does. It it just kind of stamps a memory in my head. Yeah. Brittany, thank you so much for uh, talking to me and doing the lightning round and just telling us about your butterflies playlist. Sounds really (laughs) special. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, thank you for doing this. Thanks for caring about independent artists and for reaching out. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Basic Folk This Week, produced by Laura McCarthy. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music. We are on American Songwriter Podcast Network. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple Music, Spotify, uh, what's what's that one? Stitcher. That's one. Uh, Amazon Podcasts. Google Play. We're, we're just everywhere. Everywhere you get podcasts. And we're on uh, my website, cindyhouse.net. I'm Cindy House, the host of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, share it with a friend. Uh, review, rate, and subscribe. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Bye.